We are in part four of our series entitled Dead or Alive, and from part one, we looked at the, the almost uh, mutually exclusive concept of being dead or alive, and how we saw that for the Christian, it meant both. You were to be dead and alive. And we wondered, how in the world does that work, where I was dead to sin and alive to Christ, and united together with Jesus meant that my old man had passed away. I am now new. And so the way that I live and the way that I think and the way that I treat other people is supposed to be indicative of a heart that's been changed by God. And so very, very interesting passage of Scripture that we've been in. But from last week's study, let's look at Romans 7 verse 10 and this will segue into our new verses this morning beginning in verse 12. It says, And the commandment which was to bring life, Paul says, verse 10, I found to bring death. The commandments that I thought would bring life and righteousness before God in actuality condemned all men. And we know this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so when you run into somebody that says, you know, I'm a good person, that's how I'm getting into heaven. Or you ask them as you're you're conversing with people around you and they'll say, you know, well, I believe that good people go to heaven. And then how do you know if you're a good person? Well, I do good things. Well, we understand from what God's Word says is that the good things doesn't remove sin. It actually shows you sin. A lot of times people think, well, the good works and the doing the, the good deeds will actually uh, erase sin. No, it exposes sin. It shows you, it shows me that we fall short daily of the things that are righteous and holy before the, law, before the Lord because no one can keep the law perfectly. In verse 11, for sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me and it killed me. Keeping the rules, trying to be good enough, we, don't, we know doesn't make us righteous before the Lord. And it exposes sin. But yet, sin is deceptive. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed how appealing sin is? And it's almost as if you want to do it, but then part of you is like, I don't want to do it. And there's this battle that takes place, and we're actually going to be looking at that uh, this morning uh, in our message in Romans 7, where why am I doing the things that I don't want to do? Why am I having this struggle in my life? But sin, it promises satisfaction, but it's temporal at best. And afterwards, you end up regretting doing it. Sin promises freedom, but it enslaves. It promises a full life, but it leaves you empty. It promises a free pass, but leaves you guilty. And last week we saw how following the path of sin leads to death. And so as we now segue into our new verses this morning, beginning in verse 12, we have three points. Point number one, which I'm sure we could all agree with and have said at one point in our life, is what am I doing? What am I doing? In verse 12, it says, Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. The issue isn't that the law of God is bad, but rather the issue is that the law of God points out sin. This is really why you'll see many people today reject the idea of God. If you know somebody that's like, ah, I'm not into the whole church thing, or maybe they say, well, I'm an atheist, and then you ask them very wisely, well, when did you become an atheist? Because if you ask any atheist, they weren't born an atheist, they acquired that position. And usually it came after a difficult point in life, or they prayed for something and God didn't answer it. 
However, continuing on track with what I was saying, that's why many people today will not accept the fact that there's a God because they don't want to accept the fact that He has laws and standards of righteousness. And then if they reject God, reject His standards, then they reject their own accountability before God. And they think that that gets them off the hook. Well, if I don't acknowledge God and then there's no rules, I do whatever I want and there's no problem. This standard of righteousness and holiness, this almighty judge, God, will hold me accountable if I believe that He exists. So people will choose to bury their heads in the sand, as it were, because they feel free from the responsibility of their actions. And that's what it comes down to. Every man doing what's right in his own eyes. I don't acknowledge there's a God because I am the God of my life. I do what I feel like doing and what's right to me is what's right to me. And you do what's right for you because there's no absolutes and everything's relative and that's just the way that I want to live my life. Unfortunately, God's law wasn't given to the holy, nor was it given to make anyone holy. All right, we need to understand that. People say, well, I'm a good person, and I kind of judge between the line of being good and being bad. The, the rules weren't given to holy people. The rules weren't given to even make unholy people holy. Interestingly enough, it says in 1 Timothy 1, verses 9-11, through 11, listen to this, and maybe your mind will start to expand on the concept that we're looking at this morning. He says, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. The law, God's law, was not given for righteous people, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Do you understand now upon reading that that these rules weren't given to those that are righteous. They were given to those that were unrighteous. The very fact that you're saying I live according to the law is testifying against your own holiness. Because if you were holy and righteous, you wouldn't be living under the law. But you are living under the law and you are trying to earn your way. And so what you're saying in actuality is that I am a sinner and I belong to part of that list that was just read off in 1 Timothy 1. You're one of those that was given these laws to curve your evil desires. See, the law was meant to protect people from themselves. Even as it is today in our civil laws, deterring people from naturally destroying themselves. That's why we have penalties for crime. Because people will commit crime because they're evil. Yet we'll institute laws to govern society that actually helps protect people from themselves. It doesn't change their hearts. It doesn't change who they are. But they think twice about, do I want to do this because of the consequence thereof? So, if you keep the law and you do the things that are right, you're not going to get a pat on the back by the enforcer of the law. I mean, could you imagine if a police officer pulled you over here on Culver as you were leaving and and you're like, hey, officer, what's going on? And he says, well, I just wanted to, to let you know how proud I am of you that you were driving the speed limit today. 
I just wanted to let you know you're doing a great job staying right at 50. That's an amazing, you know, good job. You can go on your way now. No, you're expected to keep the law. You're expected to do those things. And if you do what's right, you're not going to get a pat on the back. It's when you do what's wrong, there you are accountable for your actions. So you're expected to keep the law perfectly every single time. And if you don't, what you going to do when they come for you? Huh? Yeah, verse 13, it says, Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. Has this good law become death to me? He says, no, but sin. Verse 13, Romans 7, that it might appear as sin was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Now, you might say, well, that is a mouthful right there. What exactly does that mean? Well, let me break it down for you very simply. The law of God shows us our sin. Remember, that's why people don't want to acknowledge God because they'll have to acknowledge His laws and their infractions of those laws. So the law is good. It is good. It exposes sin again and again. So the law is good. It it exposed sin. And it exposed it again. And it again. Because we didn't keep the law perfectly. And so what he's saying here is the good law showed sin. And so sin increased because I saw that every time I did something that was against God's law, that was sinful. And so all of a sudden I have this knowledge, this awareness that what I'm doing is wrong. And so through a good law, sin increased. Do you get that? So now that I know this is wrong, every single time that I do it, that's sin, 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 over and over again. And you're thinking to yourself, what in the world? Now I have seen that I'm exceedingly sinful. Man, I do those things that are wrong. I admit it. Man, I had no idea until I looked into God's law. In verse 14, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. See, the laws of God are spiritual. They're meant to govern men's hearts. But we know that that's the issue because out of my mouth, out of my life, proceeds the issues of my heart. What's inside me. You can try to curve that behavior, but eventually it pops out. You can try to suppress it. But the law of God that said, Thou shalt not kill, acted as a buffer against man's anger, for it served as a check against following through on those angry emotions. Thou shalt not kill, meant to go all the way down to the heart. If you've been angry enough at somebody and you've killed them in your mind, have gone through how you might even do it, or you wish that they died, that is as the same thing as if you committed the act. And so this is a very serious thing. The laws of God are spiritual. And what I do is a reflection of my master. Am I controlled by my fleshly desires or am I controlled by the spiritual desires? Sometimes we catch ourselves doing something we ought not to be doing and we ask ourselves, what am I doing? You don't need to raise your hand, but have you ever been in that situation where you found yourself and you're going, what am I doing? I cannot believe this. 
I mean, how many of us have been in a place where we're doing something that maybe years prior we were repulsed by or said we would never ever do that or I can't believe people even do that kind of thing and then we'll find ourselves because of sin saying, what am I doing? See, the knowledge of God's law reveals my sin to me. Yet, the conviction of the Holy Spirit working in this world today points out sin and the need for a Savior. Because it doesn't matter who you are, whether you acknowledge God or not, you have a conscience that's God-given. And even if you're your own determination for what is right and wrong, there are times where you do even what's wrong to you. Sinful. Maybe you're here today and you've recently looked at your life and what it's all about and you've wondered, what in the world am I doing? Maybe you're here and you're destroying yourself or hurting others and the knowledge of your sin does not mean that the thing revealing your sin is evil. It shows you, it shows us that we are sinful and that we must turn from that sin in order to be saved and that salvation belongs only to the Lord. And when we look at these types of things, you can see now back in Romans 3.23 where we said all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How now the playing field is level. And have a greater understanding of the misconception that's outside these four walls of how you get to heaven where I'm a good person or I'm moral or I do good things. Listen, we now have an understanding of what the rules are all about. The rules were given to people that break them and have a problem and their sin and they were meant to curve our evil desires. Yet, I do what I'm programmed to do. I'm programmed to sin and to sin well. It's natural. It's normal. It leads to death. We're born with a sinful nature. We're born with a propensity to sin. And so often in the church, we will attack the symptoms of sin and never get down to the issue of sin. The root issue. We'll say, change that behavior. That doesn't lead to heaven. This is the wrong thing to be doing. Why don't you stop doing that? And those are all symptomatic of sin in a person's life. Dead in sin. I can keep the rules, I can try to be a better person, I can clean my life up, but that doesn't remove the sin. You might be able to say, you know, God forbid, and I, I think I shared this at house groups as we're going through Galatians, you know, you have, a, you have a, a brain tumor, and they say, take some aspirin, take some Advil for your headaches. That's what behavior modification does without the addressing of the issue of sin. Sin causes the symptoms. We'll say stop being like that, but if they stopped being like that, they'd still die in their sin because sin remains. That's why Jesus came and died. He came to forgive us of our sins, to remove sin. We think that the rules erase sin. The rules expose sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ removes sin. And so we might ask, what am I doing? Leads us to point number two. Why am I doing? Why am I doing? And this is the root of the question. What am I doing? For in that question lies the key to understanding our actions. See, if you can personally relate to what Paul is going to say beginning here in verse 15. Look at it. It says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. 
But what I hate, that I do. I mean, have you ever wondered why you were doing the things that you were doing? I know I have. Why am I doing this? It goes from what am I doing to why am I doing this? Have you ever been so sick and tired of being so sick and tired, but don't change what you're doing? Like, man, I can't do this anymore. I can't tell you how many of my friends back in the college days were like, man, I can't party like this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And then next Friday rolled around, they start all over again. And then on, on Sunday night, Monday morning at school, I can't do this anymore, man. I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe even right now you're in a place where you're feeling like you don't even want to be doing what you're doing anymore, but you can't stop. Then, what you really want to be doing, you can't seem to get going in your life. You're like, I'm doing all the things I don't want to be doing, and what I want to be doing, I can't seem to get it started. Maybe you would go as far to say that you hate the things that you have as habits or weaknesses in your life. Maybe you despise them. You're like, I don't even want to do those things. What am I doing? Why am I doing? You hate the fact that you can't change. You have the desire to, and you have the knowledge of what needs to be done, but you are lacking something. Look at verse 16. He says, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. I'm in doing the things that are wrong, then I agree that the law, that the law is pointing out what is wrong and what is good. I agree that the law is good. It shows me the things that I'm doing that are wrong. And listen, it's very good to have sin pointed out in your life. And you might not like it. And most of us don't appreciate it because we get offended or we get defensive and we're like, I don't want to hear this. Don't tell me. Who are you? Who do you think you are? You're not perfect or whatever. Well, listen, remove all the the, the interpersonal relationships. Let's just talk about the Word of God working through His Holy Spirit and God Himself pointing out our sin. It's good to know that you have a black spot on your lung. It's good to know that you have a mass in your brain. You need to know these things so that you can be healed of those things. Because if you keep going and they just don't want to tell you because, oh, you know, it's going to be painful. We have to use a scalpel and that's going to hurt. We're going to have to get an anesthesiologist and knock you out. And then you feel funky for a little bit. We're going to have to go through radiation and all these things that are painful. We just don't want to deal with those kind of things. Well, listen. Take the medical metaphors, transfer them into the spiritual realm, and understand that sin being pointed out by the Holy Spirit, showing you, hey, what you're doing's wrong, is a good thing. It leads to healing. It leads to restoration. It leads to newness of life. It's a very good thing to have sin pointed out to you. Hey, this is wrong. Hey, this leads to death. The law instructs us in showing us what is good. The laws of God aren't evil. Our actions are evil, and the light of God's law exposes the darkness of sin. So I agree that the law is good for sinful man because it helps me know the things that are pleasing to God. However, that knowledge doesn't equal power. Which leads us to our third and final point this morning, how am I doing? First, it's what am I doing, why am I doing, how am I doing? Point number three, verse 17, it says, But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, and then he inserts parenthetically here, that is in my flesh, 
nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Now, he is saying, he is differentiating between the flesh, which is the natural woman, the natural man, that does the natural things that it's programmed to do versus the spiritual man or the spiritual woman who is now led by the Holy Spirit. Now, does this mean, upon reading verse 17, that Paul is excusing himself from the responsibility of his sinful actions? He's like, hey man, it's not me, it's the sin. It's my society's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my friend's fault. Hey, the wind did it, or whatever it might be. No, rather, Paul is acknowledging that the truth, he's he's rather acknowledging the truth that naturally nothing good dwells in us. And some people will say today that inherently mankind is good. The Bible says quite the opposite, that inherently mankind is wicked, born with a sinful nature. Hey, we're all good really deep down inside. No, we're actually really wicked deep down inside. We just born dead in sins. We're not alive spiritually. We're alive physically with physical desires and appetites. And, you know, we use the analogies all the time about the way children act in daycare or in their own homes and saying mine and pushing kids and doing. I mean, you don't have to teach anybody to do the things that are wrong. We do it naturally well because that's the way we're born in sin. So Paul's not excusing himself. He's not making excuses or blaming somebody else. Rather, Paul is acknowledging the truth that naturally nothing good dwells in us. We're born sinful. And you know what? We have no struggles with refraining from sinful things. Before Christ, before our relationship with the Lord, we didn't have a battle with the flesh because that was just who we were and we did whatever we wanted. It was easy. If I want to do this over there, great. If I want to do that over there, fantastic. And, and, and everything was just, okay, let's go for it. Yet, I may have the will now to change, but lack the power to perform what is good. So even in the things that I just don't want to do, the sinful, unregenerate man finds himself incapable of changing his performance. That's why you'll hear people say, I tried the Jesus thing, tried the church thing, tried changing my behavior, tried to stop doing this, and tried to stop doing that. And that's the whole thing. You are being now equipped to be able to deal with real life that's outside. This is the way the world believes. In verse 19 now, continuing on, it says, For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And I find, verse 21, then a law, that evil is present with me, the one who wills, to do good. So you have the will to do good and the will to do evil. Paul takes responsibility for his actions, yet at the same time acknowledges that the sinful things that happen are not who he really is in Christ. That's the old man. I've been made a new creation, and so when I slip and I do something that I shouldn't be doing, I understand that that's the sin issue in my life. I understand. That's not who I am, but that's a struggle that I have. And if I might even add to that, kind of, I guess, encapsulate maybe what Paul was saying in this particular passage. What once was a characteristic of who he was is now out of character 
for who he is in Jesus. What once was a characteristic of who he was is now out of character for who he is in Jesus. Does that make sense? As you're seeing, like me, you, following Jesus, giving into sin is now out of character. That's not who I am. Which before was a regular practice of how I live my life. In verse 22, it says, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members or my body warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. I want to do the right thing and I delight in the things that please God. I don't even like doing those sinful things anymore. I don't even want to do them. But I find that there is this battle that wages within me, the spirit versus the flesh. And there are times when the flesh just gets out of hand. And I regret it terribly. And my physical body, my physical body desires fleshly things. And my spirit, my spirit desires, desires spiritual things. And these two war against each other. That's why we have this battle. That's why we have the conviction of the Holy Spirit that's like, no, 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 no. Red flag, red flag, giant red flag, like, hello, no, 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 sin, warning us. Because we have that conviction. Sometimes we make mistakes and we do these things that we ought not to be doing and we know that we're not supposed to be doing this, that it's wrong. And we cry out, even in verse 24, like Paul, oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And maybe this morning you can totally relate to what Paul is saying. You might wonder, well, why is it a body of death? Well, because it's carnal. It doesn't last, and its only desire is to feed its physical desires. That's the body. If I'm hungry, if I'm thirsty, if I'm lustful, whatever it might be, feed my desires. And it can be so discouraging and so frustrating to battle with sinful desires. You're like, why can't I just be free from these? Why, why can't I just be completely done? Why do I have to have a struggle? Listen, before you were filled with the Holy Spirit, there was no struggle. You just did whatever you wanted, and that led to death. You were filled with the Spirit because you put your faith in Jesus. You were made alive, what is called in the Bible. Jesus said, born again, made alive spiritually. And now there's a battle where you don't have to say yes to the things that are evil. You can say no to those things. You have the ability and power to say no. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can feel defeated, though. You can be demoralized because of this constant battle raging between, let's just call it the worst part of who you are, the flesh, and the best part of who you are, the new creation in Christ. See, the person that isn't born again doesn't have those types of struggles. Only Christians have this conflict between the flesh and the spirit. The non-Christian lives in perfect harmony with the desires of the flesh. So this morning, yeah, yeah, We want to obey God. We want to seek to follow Him. Yet our flesh is always seeking to gratify itself and bring us back under its control. The law of God leading to life. The law of flesh leading to death. Yet through these struggles, the Lord says, and this should encourage us all, Jeremiah 31.3, The Lord has appeared of old to me saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. The Lord doesn't condemn you. The law condemns you. It shows you, oh, you blew it. 
You made a mistake. You did it again. And even if you do your best to keep the law, it doesn't help your eternal salvation. Jesus loves you. And people are like, oh man, I've heard that a million times. What is that? It's all mushy, weird Jesus. No, listen, I'm not even trying to, 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 to be uh, uh, overt on this particular subject. But listen, Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We've been set free from it. I don't have to try to keep the rules because the rules can never be kept perfectly. And all they do is show me that I've sinned and that I need a Savior. So the Lord's plan for you is that you personally, you, me, would spend eternity with him. And as Paul cries out, he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He doesn't leave us hanging in that place of despair. He says in verse 25, I thank God. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's Jesus delivers us from this body of sin, body of death. He says, so then with the mind, with my spirit, my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And the flesh will always serve the laws of sin. It's its very nature. But when this body, no matter how well you keep it up, is done away with, we will then at that point be free from the struggle of the flesh against the spirit before the flesh will be completely done away with. This physical body with its physical appetites and desires will be completely done away with and that's why we'll be in a place called heaven. Free from sin, free from death, free from disease, free from this struggle, we will be living no longer as the flesh lives in perfect harmony with sin we will be now living in perfect harmony with Jesus through the Spirit. And that's what it's all about. And even today, it's amazing how this always seems to happen so perfectly that on the first Sunday of the month, we'd be talking about this particular thing from Romans 7, that we'd be having communion and remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. You say, thank you, Jesus. The very presence of your spirit in my life it enables me to now gain victory in this battle against my flesh that I don't have to live my life condemned. I don't have to live my life defeated. We recognize that. We say thank you. And as we take communion this morning, we do so in remembrance of what made this victory in our lives possible. Jesus' death on the cross. And so this morning... Maybe you've been feeling discouraged. Maybe you've been feeling defeated or demoralized. You know, and you're just going like, what am I doing? Why am I doing? How am I doing? Understand that the struggle is real. It is. The struggle is real between the flesh and the spirit. Feed your spirit. Strengthen it through time in the word of God, through prayer, through church, fellowship, etc., Gain victory because every single time before we, were, before we were with Christ, when we had a fleshly desire, there was no inhibitions. We just did whatever we felt we wanted to do. Filled with the Spirit now, 
I have been given an option to say no to that, that I don't have to do it. I don't have to do it. I actually can choose to go the complete opposite way and do what's right and pleasing to the Lord. And so, this morning, the Bible says, confess your sins, for He is faithful. God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been struggling with, no matter how you failed, that you can say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. Help me. I feel the struggle. I hate feeling defeated. I despise giving in to sin and then feeling the the guilt and all of that afterwards because I knew that it was wrong and I knew that it wasn't pleasing to you. See, you can be refreshed today. You can start fresh today who you want to be and where you want to go and what you want to do, you can start today. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and we're going to have communion at this time. And it's it's self-serve, meaning that you you can get out of your seat and, and take a cup with the bread and the juice and then return to your seat and then I'll be leading us in communion together as a, as a church family today. But this is a great time for you to do a little reflection just to think about your life. Think about what's going on with you. Are you walking the fence? You know, you got one foot in, one foot out of your relationship with the Lord, your relationship in the world, and you're wondering, and you're miserable because, you know, honestly, you have too much of the world in your life to fully enjoy Jesus. And then you're miserable on the other side, too, because you have too much of Jesus in your life to really enjoy the things of the world. And so either way, you're messed up. That's why you have to choose. That's why Jesus said no man can serve two masters. You're either going to be loyal to one and despise the other. You just can't do it. can't do both. And so as you're sitting there in your seat, if you have unconfessed sin in your life, as we worship the Lord and before you come up and take of communion, confess that sin to the Lord and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me. Maybe you've been fighting this for some time. Maybe your heart's become hardened because you're like, "Ah, I've done this for so long, and now you're practicing the things that you never thought you'd ever be doing. Say, Lord, I confess this to you. I know it's wrong. Forgive me. And then as you do that, you'll find that weight lifted off your back. You'll find that time of refreshment as, as is described in the book of Acts. Like, confess your sins so that this time of refreshing may come. Be refreshed today, and then at that point, get up out of your seat and come and grab that cup and sit back down and partake in communion with a thankful heart, saying, Lord, thank you that you have forgiven me because of your death on the cross. You took my place, and now you've given me what I need to have victory over sin. May we all fight the good fight. May we all run the race to win. May we all say, I finished the course. And hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. This doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that when you trip, you get back up and start running again. You get up, you confess your sin and say, Lord, I'm sorry, and you charge forward ahead. The Lord already knew you would make mistakes. He knew all about our sin. And He still loves us unconditionally, still died for us. So instead of wallowing in your depression... And wallowing in your regret 
and staying paralyzed when you should be running. Confess your sin, get up, and move forward. And do what God's called you to do. It's not too late. Satan wants you to think that it is. Don't believe the lies. Confess your sin and start stringing some of those good choices together again, honoring the Lord with the choices that you make. And so, Lord, we thank you. We ask, Lord, now that as we worship, as we have this time of communion, Lord, that a time of refreshing would fall upon our church. Lord, we ask, God, that sins would be confessed. We ask, Lord, for salvation. We ask, Lord, for recommitments. We ask, Lord, for the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to be upon us. And so, Lord, today, we thank you for what you have done in sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin. And so, Lord, our lives are yours. Help us, Lord, to honor you with them. In Jesus' name, amen.